Altitude's undefeated. Crap, maybe we'll punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running and starting <laughs> to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Bring it in, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. Messi is coming to Major League Soccer. That had not happened since the last time we podcasted. Feels like a million years ago now. The Denver Nuggets are your 2023 NBA champions as they won their first ever ring in franchise history. And the Rapids lost again in Orlando and got two red cards. But... The CONCACAF Nations League is returning this week, and Colorado Rapids' own Moise Bombito made a late call-up for Canada. I'm joined now in the face by Brendan Plone of the Denver Post. What's up, Brendan? Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. There's a siren going outside. We're doing this. This is the second podcast that we've had you on, Brendan, and we're in the living room instead of the second bedroom. So listeners, let us know what you think about the acoustics. We're only about 15 feet away from the Jeff Lorenowitz Memorial Kitchen Island, where normally I'm sat upon. Rabbi will not be joining us tonight, folks. He is on vacation with the kiddos in D.C. doing lots of National Monument and uh, National Mall, uh, National Capital stuff in the district. So he's unavailable. And there was an option, Brendan, for us to have him podcast like from the bathroom with the door closed and everything. And we've done some janky logistical things in the history of HTHL Namely, Rabbi working off of his phone, off of a hot spot in the parking lot while camping in nowhere, Virginia. Uh, and I decided to just give um, give Rabbi the night off. So just like Moist Bombito, Brandon, you're the late call-up. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. You know, he, uh, I, I thought I, I did think it was actually going to be the three of us. And then he uh, DM'd us back saying, you know, it's a blessing not to have to talk about our cursed team this week. So... <laughs> And yeah. classic rabbi by form, he makes us crack up even when he's not appearing on the pod. Yes, so Brendan, we have not podcasted since Messi, that news, officially broke. And I gotta be honest, Brendan, by Saturday morning I was already over it. Because like I had talked about it, I had written about it on Last Word SC, we hadn't talked about it yet on HTHL yet. But just like the, of all the soccer podcasts that I listen to that normally have a wide spectrum of things that they cover and outlets that I read that have a wide spectrum of what they cover, I didn't need four straight days of Messi, who officially has not signed a contract yet, officially has not put on a shirt, and we don't know what number he's wearing in pink for Inter-Miami. That being said, Brennan, I immediately texted all of my other friends, guys, is this how annoyed you were by the Beckham Circus and by Zlatan? Am I just like, am I in some level of a galaxy bubble here, Brendan? So I, so that question, and then just very briefly, I've already written about it. Uh, listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes to my take on Burgundy Wave, and Rabbi wrote about it for Backpass, but Brendan, anything rapid specific to Messi that you want to say? Uh, I mean, it's massive. It's kind of the, the phrase that all, uh, whatever is it, all, all tides lift all boats something like rising tide there we go thank you there we go it's like that however i have also gotten really annoyed with the incessant 
messy talk when he has not officially signed a contract. I checked MLSsoccer.com, and uh, it's we're a week in, and you know what? They still have basically the same premises that as when he first signed of, I'm coming to Miami. It's like, all right, we get it, we get it. It's going to be an absolute circus when he does arrive, but in the meantime, there's still plenty of other soccer to focus on. So to, to your point, Brennan, I pull up I pull up Major League Soccer Soccer dot com right now, and the header that they have, they've got Messi in an Argentina warm up shirt, and it says Lionel Messi would bring MLS Inter Miami to quote a whole new level. Not will would again implying that it actually hasn't happened yet. Plus plus three other stories, mm-hmm. and As, that's even before we get into match day nineteen. So you know they're running with this so hard, and listen. It's a colossal deal. We get it. But there's also 28 other teams in the league. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them is the Colorado Rapids. One interesting question that I have now, Brendan, as, as we'll get into it in a bit, is I have to believe Messi showing up in Miami is going to get pulled out of the wooden spoon conversation. And then I think, unfortunately, the three teams that you then have to have a conversation about are the Rapids, the Galaxy, who are on a transfer embargo, who obviously can't sign a striker from outside of MLS, so they can make deals within MLS with league money as well. But Mark, Mark, excuse me, but Rabbi, you have to imagine if Pork Smith, this will not happen, listeners. If Pork Smith gets a call from Greg Vanny saying, hey, we lost Chicharito, it's Dejan up top, we want Kevin back, Pork is going to do everything he can to get actual money, despite how crap that Kevin Cabral is, and that speaks to the fact that the Galaxy really can't get a whole lot better on paper. Inter-Miami's about to get a whole lot better, and Brendan, it'd be one of your thoughts, are Chicago Fire going to get dragged into this? Well, you did call me rabbi earlier, and I am not <laughs> rabbi. I am, as my name suggests, I am quite Irish. However, uh, Chicago, even with Shakiri, listen, they're still spending money. LA Galaxy, you know, they'll still spend money, and it's like, it, you're right. You're 100% right. It's like how, if you're, or they're more than halfway through the season and they're at the wooden spoon line, given how the way that, I guess, teams will ultimately use the window, it's hard to see the Rapids trying to really, really get above that line right now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's let's just check out so if I just I've I've got the supporter shield standings yeah. up right now. Thank you. I was right I was gonna look for that too. So uh, there is a caveat here, listeners. There's a there's a substantial difference in terms of number of games played here in MLS. Um, you know, some Galaxy have played 16 games. Most teams are on 17. The Rapids have obviously played 18 games. But so um, NYCFC is kind of down there, Brendan. But I feel like they get rid of Nick Cushing and then make a good coaching hire. They'll be out of that. I have to think the Red worst. Bull? or Austin. Austin could slip, but... I, I feel know. like their floors are relatively well-established. Yeah. Red Bull at least have an identity in terms of what they're doing tactically. They've got... A, they don't have a... They have holes on their roster, but they have a good base around them. Yes. Assuming they don't sell John Tolkien, for example. Austin, just by the fact that they have Drew UC, I have to think they're not in the conversation. Messi going to Miami removes them, and so then I look at it, it's Rapids on 13 points on 18 games played, Galaxy on 13 points on 16 games played, Fire on 17 and 17, and then I have to go all the way up to RSL, Mark, or RSL, Rabbi, RSL, Brendan, goddammit, Matthew, um, 
who are about to break a club record to bring Chicho Arango, who is a proven player in MLS. So, mm-hmm. uh, as we'll get to in a little bit, talking vis-a-vis the media reaction to the Nuggets winning their first championship, the Rapids are financially non-competitive with the rest of MLS. That is That gap is only increasing. Messi could see that increase further, and I don't see the Rapids improving. And, you know... Brendan, I don't know how you look at the headline of RSL spending potentially $6 million to bring back Chicho Arango, going to be a record transfer fee for the club, going to be a record salary for the club, and Pablo looks at that and said, I beat the Rapids twice in one week, we're way above them in the table, I have won this breakup, it is not competitive. Yeah. And given where the Rapids were when they fired him and everything, like I think it's, a, I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit, um... Right, I'm just going to say it. So we won't be talking about the two games next week, folks. That's too far in the future for us. And we've got other salty things to discuss as well. But I'm going to say, Brendan, uh, Rapids have are hosting Vancouver next Wednesday, uh, a week from today. And then are hosting LA Galaxy on the weekend on the 21st for, um, for Pride Night. If the Rapids do not get four points in that week, I will predict that they will win the win spoon. Ooh. I mean... Yeah, I could I could see that. My my start of the year prediction was I thought they had enough in the tank to finish seventh and find a way to get into the true playoffs, not even the playoff play in game. But now with these injuries and just the way that this team is kind of just week in, week out finds new ways to lose. Well, I guess similar ways, but new um new I guess new players <laughs> to, <laughs> that ultimately you know plays plays a role in the loss unfortunately I can I can see that happening and they've they've won the wooden spoon once but that came in 1996 um, and it's ironic that the three teams that we're talking about comes in the week that MLS announced that um, they're going to they named a um, Sporting executive Chris, Mabot- Chris McGowan has been named the executive vice president and the chief club performance officer. So there was that article in The Athletic about trying to help all teams in the league really increase their revenue and help the original teams not flounder at the bottom. Well, sure enough, this week they announced they've got a guy for that role. So we'll see if that impacts the three teams at the, at the current bottom of the, of the standings, which were all MLS originals, or, well, the fire close enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those, it's just, I can't believe it is June 14th and we're talking about this this early in the season. <laughs> it speaks to where the Rapids are right now. So, uh, listeners, uh, Brendan and I are a... Chicago Bulls and Los Angeles Lakers fan, respectively, Rabbi and actually, I. Actually, actually, go Bucks. Go Bucks. I apologize. Um, so uh, we are not Nuggets fans. I was so happy for the Nuggets. I was happy for their fans. There's so many members of the Rapids community who are Nuggets fans, mm-hmm. and I think you saw very obviously what it meant to so many people, particularly those individuals, Brendan, who were out and about enjoying the festivities and randomly ran into Gordon, who decided to walk home shirtless in his game shorts and everything. Immediate Nuggets legend right there. He can retire tomorrow, and he's a Nuggets legend having played one year with the team. So so we're not going to talk about what it means from a basketball standpoint uh, from that perspective. Uh, I did have the Nuggets winning in... 
the Western Conference Finals against my Lakers, Brendan. I had it in six and seven and four, and I had Nuggets in six in the finals. Close enough yeah, for me. I, I thought it would be five. I mean, I li- listen, I went to Marquette. I love Jimmy Butler. He gets buckets all day long, but I just knew there was something special about this Nuggets team that was not going to stop them from standing in the way of so much history, and it, they ultimately broke through. So we've seen, Brendan, the media reaction that has come out of that, and particularly a lot of the parallels that have people brought to KSE. First of all, Brendan, you watched the, the, the post-game media interview. Like, Stan Kroenke, of all the sports where the owner gets interviewed on the podium and is given the trophy, mm-hmm. I'm not sure in my lifetime, and I'll go back to like the Super Bowl in 1997 with John Elway, I don't know that I've seen another owner or whoever that person is getting interviewed is more and more awkward. And you think Stan would be getting better at these given that he's had a couple of them in recent years and everything. But like the Lisa Saunders or whoever it was for ESPN holding the mic and like he's talking into her ear even though her mic's over there. I realize this is an audio podcast so you can't see the – go watch the video and you'll understand the awkwardness. But like at some point, Brendan, if it's another five years from now before this happens, like – Josh has to be the one. Stan, like, Stan, you can be yeah. there. Josh is doing the talking, so he's awkward. But a lot of people bringing up the Rams. They've brought up um, Arsenal's won an FA Cup under him as well. They obviously yep. haven't won a league or a European trophy. They right. don't have a European Cup. Um, and the Rams have won the Super Bowl recently in the first, first year of SoFi, second year of SoFi. A couple years ago, two Super Bowls ago now, the Rams won the Super Bowl. And a lot of the documentation of that, Brendan either left out the Rapids entirely, so either saying soccer is not a major sport or saying that the Rapids are the bottom of the KSC food chain. I want to believe on some... I've seen a couple of them, Brennan, where they said it's been an amazing few years for KSC and for Stan Kroenke. I would say 13 years from the 2010 MLS Cup is far away enough to where they're in that guard, but there's a lot of Rapids fans who are salty that, you know, they're being ignored from that sport. And as we've seen, Brendan, some of the people from those outlets are kind of clapping back in a yes, you're irrelevant kind of way. Yeah. Um, so I tweeted it out, and Rapids fans, y'all certainly noticed um, the the media attention that they that they really, that KSE garnered, and that, oh, wait, that's right, the Rapids are also owned by KSE. Um, it is very much acknowledged. But the uh, last week, Roger Bennett, uh, you know, who we would love to visit for him to visit Denver one of these days on, on a Men and Blazer tour. And Colorado's going to have to be relevant from a soccer standpoint to make hey, the work it relevant. Brendan. Mal Swanson, Sophia Smith, and Lindsey Horan help make it relevant. So, okay, Roger, from a come out, yes. it makes sense. Yes. From a- <laughs> but anyway, so on the Messi podcast, he literally said, DSGP is almost like a trip to the dark side of the moon. And then yesterday, you know, we're talking about KSE. Um, Kurt Gomez, a former Rapids player, uh, played for the team when when the stadium opened. Scored the first goal in the history of Dick's Sporting. Yes, Herc. yes, that that Herc. He literally tweeted out, you know, Stan couldn't be bothered to show up for the opening of the Rapids stadium that he built, and winning with the Colorado Rapids is not a priority. And then Alexi Lalas last night, he was on some cross-country flight, and he did an AMA session on Twitter. And somebody asked him, what MLS club would you kick out of the league? What USL would, what USL club would you put into MLS? Straight up just said, to the point, Colorado, out. Detroit City, in. And then, 
yesterday as well, but, but I noticed it today. Nine News, our lovely Nine News, and I, I know the guy who wrote this article, no, uh, no uh, diss to, to him at all, but, you know, he's saying that how the major four sp- sports of Denver, you know, and then listed all the titles of, of the major teams, but he left off, A, both the, the Rapids 2010 Cup and B, the uh, the Mammoth from last year. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 been an, a crazy, crazy week, really, for people from the national scene reflecting on the last decade plus of, of the Rapids and... They don't even recognize, yes, they had good years in 2016 and 2021. They just recognize mm-hmm. the bad, mm-hmm. straight up. And this is only my second year on the beat. And, of course, I know the long history that so many Rapids fans have, frankly, been going through. And, frankly, y'all, this week, you guys deserve better from the national media, frankly. Better from the local media. And the local I remember as well. Because... They are the ones that are ultimately wearing the shirt day in, day out. Of course, the players are too. And of course, the, the front office, the comps people we we really respect and all that stuff. They're absolutely going through it too. But the fans, you know, they're lifers. And for the national spotlight to be on this organization in the wrong way and only point out the negatives, it doesn't tell the full picture at all because Rapids fans ever since I've been on the beat you guys have been phenomenal and the most helpful possible so even though while it might seem really doomy and gloomy right now and it probably is one of the doomiest times in a long long time you know for those that keep the faith and are still positive we really appreciate you mm-hmm. and rant yeah Brendan, I remember there were people who were at the either, I can't remember if this was the Anthony Hudson big press conference they did to introduce him or if it was the one for Robin Frazier, but I spoke to somebody who was from one of the local news outlets. I won't say which, it's one of the big ones. It was not Nine News Denver since you just kind of took a shot at them, Brendan. Sorry. But I was just saying, I just pointed out, I didn't say who wrote the article, but um, yeah. the outlet that published said poll, it was 2,000 people that voted on it. Mm-hmm. The Rapids weren't included at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the so that outlet, Brendan, they had not been to DSG since um, since the Tim Howard uh, press announcement announcing Tim Howard. So you're talking about Howard comes middle of 2016, and they hadn't been there since. It would have been late in the calendar year 2018 for Anthony Hudson. It would have been what August September ish for um, for Robin Frazier in the case of. 2019. Um, And so, Brennan, I think it speaks to there's a lot of those media outlet where soccer is on the secondary market or it's what gets buried under their headline or they only spend 10 minutes on it. Or, you know, the local altitude channel would give Robin Frazier a courtesy, you know, 10, 15 minutes a week when it was during the season. Those types of outlets, if for some reason, and I wrote about this in Burgundy Way, why this won't happen. I don't think Messi's going to have to have like a six year contract, Brendan. I think for enough time to happen for them to be like, okay, we can't give him LAFC and the Galaxy in Seattle every year and not have him come to Colorado. But on, in, on the off chance that Messi does end up there, Brendan, there will be a number of outlets that have not given, that have only criticized the club, 
only dunked on them when the club's already drowning that have not physically been out to DSG since the Thanksgiving playoff game, if that. So, and I think that speaks to, unfortunately, where the club's at. And fans can get in the the mentions and the notifications of these outlets and everything and try to push back and everything. And I think there's an understandable chicken or the egg of which one that is. But um, the fact that these outlets aren't doing that and the only people who are bringing it up are the most diehard Rapids fans on Twitter and everything just speaks to the fact that the club is not in the public consciousness. And when it is, it's in a negative standpoint. And unfortunately, as we've seen, the only time that really changes is when they are vastly overperforming expectations, like they did in 16, like they did in 21. Or when some other KSC team does something significant, like the Nuggets winning its first title and bringing up how successful KSC has been. So for Rapids fans, I tweeted out this the other day, and I kind of think it kind of sums it up. Um, I've got this this wall calendar, the, the far side, the, the great cartoon from... Gary Larson, and, uh, you know, it's, the, the, the caption is, you know, go back to sleep, Chuck, you're just having a nightmare, of course we're still in hell, and, uh, you know, two, one guy's got a nightmare, another guy's trying to wake him up, another guy uh, in the corner is sleeping as, as the flames are burning high, and look it up, it's a pretty famous uh, cartoon, but kind of sums up <laughs> the last, I don't know. I mean, maybe the last really, really week, it feels like Rapids fans have, at least to me, have reached a boiling point. And, uh, you know, it's it's a tough time for everybody. So Last one that I have, Brendan, on this, and then we'll get to the actual game over the weekend. But the an interesting question that I have coming off of the Nuggets celebrations. What Rapids player who's not in the legendary category, like, who, what Rapids player, if the Rapids were to win a trophy at home, could walk home in the greater Northfield area, a la what Gordon did on Monday night, and achieve like a level of legendary mythology that I think previously... Because, I mean, he was a decent X-Factor in this, but I think when... I, I think even the most astute Nuggets fans, five, ten years, like, it was Jokic, it was Jamal Murray, and then maybe he's in the conversation for MPJ. Like, yeah. we already know, if this team ever wins MLS Cup with Jack Price as captain, he is going full Alexander Ovechkin winning the Cup in Vegas. Oh, yeah. And so we already know that's going to happen. Lala Sabubakar. Lala Sabubakar. I, I could, could see him just walking home and be like, eh, hey, I'm walking, talking to everybody, because he's a friend of everybody, and... Just the nicest guy in the world and would want to celebrate with everybody because mm-hmm. he's a warrior for everybody. And he's a similarly kind of crazy hair, like definitely a vibes guy as yes. well. So I could great vibes guy. That's a really good one. I was struggling, Brendan, because correct me if I'm wrong, this is Gordon's first year with the Nuggets. First full year. First full year with the Nuggets. So yes. so who could have come in the last who's a relatively new guy? Then who could do? Because Lawless has been here Bruce, since Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown came in the off season for the Nuggets. Well, I mean, who's a who's a relatively new uh, Rapids player who could do that? Because it's not the same as it's not the same as the Nuggets drafting um, drafting Jamal Murray, giving him a contract extension, about to sign him to a max and everything. So that's the that's the one I'm wondering because Gerspach's not really in the lineup. I don't think. Andreas Maxu is that mm-hmm. he's not the vibes guy gonna hug a bunch of people and jump up and down in the street necessarily. Mm-hmm. Not saying he doesn't care about the fans whatsoever, but like Danny Wilson is a private introvert. 
and I've he's got, a very private individual. He would not be doing that. I've got another one. We might be on the same page here. Yes. Moise Bombito? I could. Mo- Moise, I could see doing that as well. And the other one I thought, I, I think Ronan would be in for the vibe similar to Jack Price. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. So if you were talking about new guys who would do that, I could see Ronan doing that as well. Or maybe a guy who doesn't show that personality, but has had a few and then that personality comes out and then he's there for the vibes in that kind of a way. Possibly. Or Kevin Cabral the, completing the redemption tour. <laughs> um, speaking of a lack of a redemption tour, so <laughs> listeners, this past weekend at Exploria Stadium, the Colorado Rapids lost 2-0 to Orlando City. We're not going to do good thing, bad thing, big thing. The Rapids have gone eight games, win, eight games without a win. They have lost seven of those eight games. And I don't think it's productive nor interesting for... It's not productive for us. I don't think it's interesting or useful for you as Highliners, as listeners anymore, for us to break down all the nuances of what happened throughout the game, the narrative, and then try and quantify and make sense of it. So I'm simply going to say, Brendan, the Rapids come out. They don't start particularly well. They play better. Then they get a red card. Mm -hmm. Brian Galvan, straight red, uh, karate kick, albeit trying to go for a... Not a 50-50 ball, but like an 80-20 ball that he then goes into the oblique forearm of an Orlando player. Absolutely a red card. Orlando scores early in the first half. Fagundo Torres, 56 minute. Rapids start to play a little bit better given the circumstances. They're down a man, down a goal. Lalo Sububokar gets a second yellow in the 57th. And then substitute uh, Romino Enrique, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, scores the goal and is 2-0 Orlando. I have a big thing that's a big huge rant that's kind of based on our post-game interactions with Robin Frazier, Brendan, but big picture, high level, what do you want to say about this game? Do not get in the weeds. Uh, What do I want to say about this game? Big picture. This team, by the time that they get into the game and really start attacking, it's way too late. It feels like once teams are able to get their foot on the gas first, it is so hard for the Rapids to take that foot off and then put their own foot down and really influence the game. Midfield-wise, you know, even before Galvan's um, first, the, the red card, yes, they did have some good, good, quick possessions to get set pieces to create those corners, but it wasn't sustained. And there, I don't think there were any really big shots at all through the first 35, 40 minutes. And then in the it set- was two it, it was two shots, Brendan, before the red card. Both were Cole Bassett, you're right, relatively you're right. innocent. Um, there was a counterattack where I think a really nice tackle was made by Robin Janssen on Kevin Cabral. The Rapids did not have a shot between the first red card and the second red card. They had, which is shocking for me. They had no. I tweeted this out at full time. They had as many shots in the game two as they had red cards two. So that kind of tells me where the create the lack of creativity is, especially if they fail to get um, put their foot on on the gas first, because we we saw it against RSL. I mean, we saw it against Atlanta. We really saw it. I mean, we yeah no. I guess Columbus was kind of the exception. Uh, San Jose. I yeah. felt they did at home, but then obviously the red card took it out from them. But yeah, I would I I generally agree with that, Brendan. I thought they were That's that's my big team big thing because game after game I'm expecting 
all right, this is going to be the game where they just find a way to really control the flow. Don't get rushed. Don't try and push it on the counter and then get pushed back and then give up a big, long spell of possession themselves. But that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at that opening goal in, in the second half, or whenever that was, I don't know, it was a long time 56 minutes. Yeah, it was... It's. It came after a long spell, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, Orlando had been putting... The, the goal had been coming. Now, yeah. it was off of Deflexen. It goes off right. of Max Schuh and everything. But, like, you can't... You can't put numbers behind the ball and be so non-threatening in transition yes. and expect to get results in this game. And oh. even that, and I would say that even when it was still 11 v. 11. I thought Galvan was good before the red card. Yeah. Free to, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't think that Cabral was particularly threatening. I mean, he, he presses well, Brendan, but, you know, he gets the ball and then he tries to go on his own or do something to get some tech or highlight reel stuff. And it's too easy to get the ball away from him. Yes, he's occasionally breaking lines, but there's not, uh, like, he's either off sides or the pass isn't connected or the opposing team scouts that well and the goalkeeper knows to come off his line and deal with it as well. Like... He has, what, two goals this season, and they're both tap-ins where the person who assisted him is the one who did most of the work. Rubio at LA Galaxy, and then Michael Barrios at Austin. Right. And the fact that I'm not seeing him pop up in other ways, I think just speaks to the fact that he's he's non-threatening. And I, I'm, I'm holding off out of almost kindness or sympathy for him to call him a bust at this point. But even when Rubio had really bad patches prior to... The prior to last season, he would he would find ways to influence the game. Yes, or he'd get physical, or he'd win the ball back, or do something else. Like if nothing else, even when Kai Kamara in 2019 had gone two or three games without a goal, he was occupying a center back to make somebody else's life easier. Yeah, it's not obvious to me what other way other than chasing down hopeless balls and like forcing the center backs to make a decent pass where they've got two seconds to think about what they're doing. What other value Kevin Cabral is bringing? And he's doing this in what I still feel like is not his natural position. We did see Darren Yappi was back um, with the U twenty from the U twenties in this game, Brendan. He came on in the second half as well. But at this point, I'm start Yappi up top because at the very least he doesn't lose the ball and let Cabral be out wide where he's not banging bodies against somebody you know twenty pounds heavier than him. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out the beer that you brought, Brendan. Thank um, you. So, Half Acre Pony Pilsner 16 Ounce. Where is this from? That is from Chicago. It's from Chicago? Okay, yes. so shout out to you for not bringing Malort's, Brendan. Absolutely not. Th- this is the kind of podcast where we would where we would fight each other and then punch <laughs> our faces in the... Or whatever the Malort uh, slogan is that I wouldn't know that you would as yes. a native Chicagoan. But, so... Okay, Brendan, it's it's time for my big thing, and I've I've sorted this out and really thought about this. Uh, listeners, we had post game media availability. Robin came in, was obviously punchy. Um, we have obviously documented on Twitter and in our writing about his recent criticism of the officiating. He was convinced that the Jonathan Lewis uh, uh, shoulder to shoulder with Quinn in Columbus should have been a foul, and if it's a foul, it should have been dog so ergo a red card. He was obviously and rightfully frustrated with Moise Bombito's second yellow against San Jose Earthquakes. And he kind of got a little punchy with you, Brendan. Oh, yeah. Part of that was maybe you poorly wording the question and maybe choosing your words wrong. But also, 
Every single head coach, folks, and I'd say this, this is true about all sports, they come in in a mood, and it doesn't matter what the first question is or who asks the first question, they're going to steamroll that beat reporter no matter what. And unfortunately, Brendan, you raised your hand first in the Zoom call, mm-hmm. and you were tied to the train was, tracks as the, yeah. <laughs> the Frasier Express came through. Yeah. I, I asked about discipline because we saw it so many times last year when it seemed like the discipline undid the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of, I don't know, last year down the stretch, last summer and into the fall, when it was when they gave themselves a chance, they would get silly yellows or and they would have to be suspended the next game and that would show up on the field or they would get reds. And then so I asked again if basically, you know, if if it was a discipline issue and then you and I and then he um, he punched back fairly enough. He's like, it's not a discipline issue. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, coach, I just pointed out, you know, um, how many red cards it's been. And he said, absolutely not. not. And then he just kept on rolling with it. But if you look at the stats, last year the team led the, led the league in yellow cards, or was second in, in the league in, in um, yellow cards with one behind Houston. Mm-hmm. And they led the league, again, in reds. I think it was with six last year. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know what it was with last year, but this year, sure, probably some questionable calls. I, I totally can see where Frazier is coming from. But it also, I mean, Charlie Bohm wrote about it, too, with wrapping up the weekend. It's, it was just about indiscipline. And so I still kind of stand by that. There is so much jet fuel and passion with, with this team. It is the way that this organization is built to Go after every single ball, no matter the cost. It is DNA hard-coded into them. So when they do it and it doesn't work, it's almost as if, well, you know, it's the way that we've always, this club has always done it. Um, We've always gone off and um, kind of really gone for every single thing. But at some point, you got to think, all right, even after Brian's red card. Lalas, he got an early yellow for no reason, frankly. He mm-hmm. didn't have to be in that position, but he ultimately did. And then the second one, and it was he was probably hoping the ref would be lenient, considering they were down to 10 when he grabbed him and pulled him back. But that's not the way that the refs were designed to call games this year. You know, when it's a clear pullback, it's a yellow card, mm-hmm. and it's a second red. Yeah, well, he pulls him back from midfield too, Brendan. And there's a bunch of defenders back. Like, they're in a good position as well there. You know, you're almost giving the opposing attacker on the ball like a non-consensual piggyback ride. You're asking for it. There are other ways you could have handled that. And so where I think Robin maybe got hung up on with your question, Brendan, or maybe you phrased it poorly, or Robin was just in a mood and it didn't matter how you asked it, I think discipline's maybe the wrong word. Galvan was trying to go for the ball. He made a poor calculation what he did, but he wasn't going in. This wasn't Nigel DeJong, like, you know, kicking David Villa in the chest, you know, no mercy, get him a body bag, Cobra Kai. Kind uh, of Andres Maxu would have chested that down versus on yes. versus Brian Galvan, who literally had to kick above him. Yeah, so the, so the only truly ill-disciplined moment that I think you've seen from the Rapids has been... I mean, I think you could say the entire team collectively lost their cool against Philadelphia. And certainly, yeah. Brian Galvan deserved to be red-carded in that play. Albeit, I can't remember which 
Philly player it was or what they got sent off for their red. So I don't know. I don't know which red happened first in that. But so that's that's the one play where I could say the team lost its discipline. But I think maybe the more appropriate word to use for that would have been composure yeah. or situational awareness or the the adjustment to that because Moise Bombito has to know that he's on a yellow card. He goes in for that tackle. He almost gets it perfectly. We'll talk a little bit about Moise and where he's coming from on that as well. But he has to know that if he doesn't win the ball or he goes to the man in that situation, you're giving the referee an opportunity to give you a you're, to give you a red card. Yes, Brian Galvan is frustrated 39 minutes into the into the game. He's gotten the ball a handful of times. He's done something good with it every single time. They can't win the ball back. Usually he passes the ball to a good uh, to a guy in a good area and they immediately give it away. He's frustrated. He wants to win and go on the counterattack as well. That ball is not the end-all be-all of that game and going in to try and win that 50-50 or that 80-20 and getting a red card does not help your team. Situational awareness matters, listeners. Lal Sabubu, let's just say that, um, you know, let's take the, the Quinton situation with with Jonathan Lewis. Brendan, if the United States men's national team is up 1-0 in the final minute of the stoppage time of the World Cup final and Kylian Mbappe gets in behind Tim Ream and the only thing Tim Ream can do to stop him from getting in on goal is taking him down, you take the dog so, you let the guys get back into position, you defend the free kick, and you hope 10 v 11, you could see out that final minute and win the freaking World Cup. Yep. If that's in the first minute of play, you've got 30 yards to catch up to him, try and cut down the angle, try to put him in a position where he has a difficult shot against the goalkeeper, and worst case scenario, if you give up a goal in that situation, it's 1-0, you've got so much game time left to play in that regard. That 50-50 for Galvan was not the end-all be-all, and you have to know that if you go in like the way that you did, you're giving the referee an excuse to give you a red card, and at that point you're losing, you're the reason that your team lost the game. Same thing for Lalo Sububakar at that point. His red card was in the uh, was in the 75th minute. It's still 1-0. Yeah. You're still only down still a man at this. Nothing. You know, Darren, and they, they didn't they didn't even look when they went down, there were stretches after they went down where they looked good on the counterattack. They looked okay. As yeah, as it, it, it did not look like it was 10 beaver. It was 10. Yeah. Versus, it looked like a bad team on the road against a good team on a good team at home and everything, but it did not look at times like the Rapids were down a man in that regard. So Lawless has to know in that situation, I am on a yellow card. I cannot give the referee an easy excuse to give me a second yellow card. We win this ball back after Orlando counterattacks it. We huff it up to Darren Yappi. He wins a free kick and then we've maybe got a set piece to go get the game and get a 1-1. He has to know I get a second yellow card in that point the team's done there's no way we're coming back and even then even not just the situational awareness of the game state and what's at stake in there Brendan the the, the balls at midfield the start of the foul that Lawless commits that ultimately gets him his second yellow card was in the defensive half Max Shue is back the fullbacks are back you have numbers back you had even if you even if you completely lose that guy you still have your teammates still have a numerical advantage against the opposition. You're a fast guy. You can catch up to him. You try to give an opponent an opponent a piggyback ride that they didn't want and everything. You're giving the referee an excuse to give you another card. So, post game. Okay, can I finish my? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, good teams are able to overcome mm. bad officiating. Yep. Yep. Mentally tough and situationally aware teams 
are able to recognize what the referee is doing. And rather than thinking, oh, this isn't ideal for how we want to play, I'm going to get mad and let it get to me. I'm going to try to use it to my advantage. Philadelphia Union figured out how the referee was managing that game 20 minutes into that game a couple weeks ago. And they said, this perfectly fits into it. We are going to poop house the Rapids. And the Rapids absolutely lost their mind. The Rapids got concacaffed by the Philadelphia Union in that game. I would argue the Rapids have been concacaffed by the officiating in the last three games between the Lewis no-call dog so, the Bombito red card, and the two red cards in this situation. So Robin can sit there and say that, um, you know, that Galvan wasn't him getting the red miss, that Bombito didn't get the red miss, that Lalo Bubakar didn't get the red miss. Those were not discipline issues. <clears throat> but if you look at those plays and don't think, there's something different in how we could have handled that. We could have been more situationally aware. And if Robin doesn't see and realize that privately, and the players don't see and realize that, and if they don't have a conversation before the Vancouver game next week and say, we're going to handle this differently, then this team in this season truly are lost. So, wow. Wow. There we go. Yes. So, to go off of that, Braden Nurse, he asked this, the, the question that Robin would eventually answer a Matt sort of response and he said quote this team feels absolutely hard done every single time they they play by the officials they feel like every single time they go out out calls are being made against them it's a very difficult situation to be in for for any players much less given the situation we're in and the delight that the referees seem to take to hand out the red cards um and that's, that's where I ended up. But he kept going. So great question, Braden, uh, to get him to open up like that because my question certainly didn't. But to Matt's point, yeah, um, at the, at some point, you, 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 stop, you have to stop feeling, woe is me, we're getting screwed, and just find a way to be, to, I guess, get cock-caffy with it and if it's a concacaf like official decisions, well, shoot. You've got the Rapids DNA where you're going after every single ball and you're going after every single challenge and going to hard-nose your way throughout 90 minutes. Overcome one bad element and get back to the club DNA. Yeah. The episode of Ted Lasso from the recent season that ended, Brendan, where it was the first leg against West Ham at West Ham, Mm -hmm. where they're down at halftime, they're not playing particularly well, and the coaching staff decides to show the team the uh, security camera footage of of Nate going into the locker room after the game from the previous season, ripping up the belief sign and everything. They get all charged up and everything. What do they do, Brendan? They go in, rapid slug life, bunch of red cards, they completely implode and everything. They could have easily taken that and said, okay... F this guy, we're going to play to our best level as well. And so on some level, to your point then, I think we can agree that this is a team that is poorly aware of the officiating and is poorly coached to adjusting and realizing that they just get get upset and they cry and take their their toys out of the sandbox and go home, or they rage quit out of the game as well in, in that regard. Rage quit's not the right word. Rage quit would be them doing what Richmond did and then losing their discipline. They're just they're poorly handling it. And I understand in that moment, Brendan, that 
Robin sticking up for he's oh, yes. not talking he's, to us. No, he's, he's talking to his team and the and, league. And he's talking to the league about that as well. So he, I, yeah, I do he's, think he's, he's backing his players to the hill because he's an MLS lifer. Yes. He knows what this can do to a team. Yes. Anything else would anything else that we want to say about that, or do we want to move on to the one other interesting personnel thing from this game, Brendan? Uh go for it. So this is the third straight MLS game, listeners, that Marco Ilicha has started in goal, and it was interesting when he got his first start in Columbus because the thought was, oh, midweek game, is he getting in rotation, and is William Yarbrough going to start on the weekend against San Jose? And Marco's now started three straight games. He now has five for including the two Open Cup games, and we had a nice email about that from Matt Cleveland. Hey guys, I'm currently deployed in Japan, and it's been hard to keep up with the team. Uh, he goes on to talk about Apple TV. Uh, Matt Cleveland's uh, listeners is stationed on the island of Okinawa. And so obviously time zones aren't good for him. And then also Apple TV is still really bad about showing you the scores when you open the app, even after the game. So Matt, potentially you log on the app. It's like, okay, I'm going to watch the Rapids game. Oh, they lost 2-0 to Orlando. That kind of ruins it. But so he asks, uh, my question is about Yarbrough versus Ilicha. Is Ilicha getting a run now because the team wants to, quote, kick the tires, end quote, before the transfer window opens? Or did Yarbrough do something, injury or play, to lose his spot? Like I said, I'm not following the team as closely as usual, but I thought Yarbrough was having a good season. Brendan, as our guest, I will give you first take. Uh, well, Matthew, Matt, thank you for, for uh, <laughs> first of all, thanks for your service. And uh, thank you for submitting a, a great question. I actually think you're you're right with your first thought. Um, they're trying to see whether the loan is going to be worth it because the Rapids over the offseason looked for a couple different goalkeepers and they, they found Illicha. And really, aside from the Open Cup, which, you know, he got, what, two games, two or three games. Um, and, you know, a, a couple league starts now and, you know, it's time to really know because the end, his loan is going to be up at the end of the month. And July 2023. So next month. <clears throat> That's what the Rapids have in their press release. July 2023. Yes. We don't we don't know the date then. Got it. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I I'm, think that means the end of the month. We should probably confirm that. But then so then there's the option to buy. Right. If, if it's going to be an option to buy, I mean, it's going to be a big option because he is currently, um, I guess, age level. He's at his goalkeeping kind of peak where it's your, he's what, 26, 27? Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of at that perfect age where he can win over a job. And while William Yarbrough has absolutely been phenomenal this year, um, at the end of the day, the, the Rapids have to know what their future is going to look like. And um, since you're overseas, you don't, you might, you know, you might know that Abe Rodriguez, the, Goalkeeper from last year has been out with a knee or a foot injury. Um, he's last. He did just come back. He okay, was not on last right. week's injury. You're right. Report, you're right. He's been out. Uh, Adam Beaudry. Adam Beaudry. He's seventeen been, or eighteen. He's in- been crushing it with Rapids too. For oh yeah. what that's worth. Mm-hmm. So he's he's one for the future, but he's only seventeen or eighteen. Um, but he's definitely got U.S. men's national team like quality in his sights. Uh, he was at the the U. He's going to be a big part of the U18 World Cup or whatever it's going to be in November. 
Um, he was but, in qualification yes. about the time the jersey got dropped this offseason. Right. So ultimately, he's still too young. So Illicha is kind of that perfect age. I, from from when I first saw him to when I saw him on Saturday, I mean, it was drastic. I mean, when I first saw him play for R2, we got a couple games there, and it was, you could tell he was rusty and all that. But he's been really good when he's been, I guess, called into it. But as somebody pointed out, maybe it was you, Matt, who pointed out on the pod the other week that sometimes I noticed that he can just get rooted to the spot. I don't know if that was you. Who we were talking about? Illicha. Like when, when I guess shots come in, sometimes I've seen him just, whether they're either A, they're just like going to the top corner, no way I can save that, or B, or like it's a deflection. I've seen, on, on that first goal, like I don't think he moved at all. On the second goal, I'm trying to think if he Well, well, well he the did first move. one he was diving, he was getting ready to dive the other way and then it got Okay, deflected. that's right. So My bad. I don't, I don't know that. But, okay, maybe, maybe it's me, but like sometimes, I, maybe it was Columbus or Atlanta that some of them... No, was Atlanta that would have been Yarbrough. I, I don't know that. My so, bad. So okay. So it would have been the three Some, goals in Columbus. It was something that I've just noticed. Maybe it was with his time from R two as well. I think because he gave up a couple goals there. Um, but yeah, sometimes he can get a bit rooted. But when he's called upon, he's absolutely been rock solid for them. Uh, despite the score lines, you know he's he's if if he if the defense can like get a really good 90 minutes together and keep it throughout the game and he's required to make some saves, he absolutely will do. So I think, so I think at the end of the day, I think they probably will purchase him because looking at it, you know, we don't know how they feel about the situation within the league goalkeeper wise. And we don't know what the quality is like in Europe, whether they can find someone right now who is as affordable and as ready to go um, and wants to be fighting for their future in MLS, you know? So I think the Rapids will probably end up picking up his option and purchasing because he's kind of in that sweet spot. I think it's, so I think, I think there's one of two possibilities here, Matt, that are, happening with um with the goalkeeper situation uh maybe one of three um i think the the first one is the one that you've suggested the rapids have a purchase option on marco and he previously only gotten appearances in the open cup and whether it was robin frazier whether it's chris sharpie whether it's the analytics team up in the front office they need more mls first team minutes data on him to evaluate him to see if he's getting used to the league and then to determine whether or not he's a good purchase for the team financially. So there's that. Um, I think that's one possibility. I think it's worth pointing out, Brendan, that Yarbrough's last start was technically the one nil loss to FC Cincinnati where he was, he did not look particularly good on that Don Bocci shot. I think you see from his reaction, he was clearly mad at himself as well. And that's really the first soft goal that Yarbrough's given up. Maybe you could argue that he would blame himself for not setting up his wall better for that free kick against Atlanta yep. as well. So I think that's a possibility. Um, Brennan, you've been out to training. Yarbrough's been fully participating. He hasn't been on any of the availability reports, not even as questionable. So I don't think there's an injury going on there. I think 
Illich has, has gradually uh, cap up to and is now beating him out in training to where he's earned the spot. Either Robin realizes the situation or maybe there's, you know, some polite reminders from his goalkeeper coach or from the front office about that situation. Or they're going back and forth competition-wise. There's also plenty of times, Brendan, where you'll see this a lot more in hockey than you will in soccer, where the team's on a rough patch, the goaltender hasn't necessarily been the problem, yeah. but yep. you've rotated the squad, you you know, you called up a couple guys from the AHL affiliate or whatever, and you just think like the, you know, we haven't given the backup Tendi a start in two or three weeks, let's throw him out on a Saturday night on, you know, a couple days rest and everything, and just see if he brings something else there. And so, even if that's not, even if not Will's fault of where the team's at, Certainly where he is not getting a big slice of the blame pie no. for this team being bottom of the supporter shield standings competing for the wooden spoon. But it's one other change you can make because, you know, Bombito's been up and down as well. Um, I don't I don't know that there's another easier option that you could have there in terms of rotating the squad else significantly. You know, uh, if Yapi wasn't at the U-20 World Cup, maybe you give him a few more starts in there. We know Barrios is uh, every single other piece on this team right now is either a known quantity or known to not be good enough. And so Marco Ilicha being the unknown maybe was a possibility. Um, I also think, I, I think it's going to be a big summer as well, Brendan, because you're looking at it. Um, what previous conversations did the front office have with KSC regarding the financial implications of wanting to bring Marco on full time after the loan option was there? Do their feelings about that change with the Nuggets winning the NBA championship? I don't think so. But you also have to remember the last big check that they cut was for Max, and it was, this is a young guy who's going to help us in the future, but also is a viable financial option for us as well. And KSC, understandably, accounting would be looking at that and saying, we flushed a million dollars down the drain because of what happened with this situation. You know, Brian Galvan on a U-22 contract, he was coming in, he was a bit of a project, he was supposed to come good, he gets injured. What happened there? And then he comes back and he's gotten two red cards on the team as well. I can see where KSE is looking at this and thinking that, you know, we've given you a lot of assets to try and spend on that. And the only real big check that we've gotten in that regard was for Sam Vines. And that was just proof that us continuing to burn, million, uh, you know, a couple million bucks a year on the academy was a worthwhile investment. So I, I could see where there's some financial conversations, regardless of the implications on the pitch as well with uh, with Marco. Last thing that I want to say that I want to point out, um, Matthew, it, it, it was fitting of what he also said in this email, listeners, the local team that he has there in Okinawa is a... What a phenomenal email. ...is a J3 team called FC Ryukyu, R-Y-U-K-Y-U, I'm not sure how to see that. Say that they're the only team on the island. They got relegated from J two last year, and they're currently in last place. They're about to pull a Sunderland and get relegated to the fourth division potentially. Not great footy, but I can watch in person. I did recognize a couple of songs the supporters sing, and check out the link. And Brendan, they have their own variation of Country Road or Mountain Road that they sing, and they sing it in English. So listeners, here we go. So almost heaven. Okinawa, Kunigami Mountain, Shuri Castle. Not sure what Kunigami Mountain is or what Shuri Castle is. Life is old here, <laughs> older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country road, take me home. 
to the place I belong. Okinawa, FC Ryuku, take me home, country road. Um, and I swan. And the lyrics go on. There's something about a fisherman's lady and stranger blue water. Um, I'm not sure with, I'm going to assume a lot of those Japanese people speaking English as a second language, what vowels they emphasize and what length and duration and everything. But Brendan, it was so funny when I was at the, the Fire Nord game to hear the pregame set list that they have. They have the dupe song as a pregame song. Ooh. Apparently that's not uncommon in Europe. So it's not like the, it's not like Philadelphia Union made that song. I don't know that there's a lot of teams that have the dupe song as their goal song. And they also play Sweet Caroline. But then at the end of the ba, 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 they do Nord instead of Sweet Caroline, ba, ba, ba. So that's interesting. And that was kind of fun to see a bunch of Dutch intoxicated guys sing that as well. Um, and then go ahead, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes as well to the um, to the the song lyrics that Matthew included in the email for listeners who want to check it out. And if you just look at the club's crest as well, it's got these two like dragon creatures. And I think it's a dark red, but it's not that far enough from burgundy their primary shirt color as well brendan so uh, so many parallels that you have here between team at the bottom of the table they sing a variation of mountain road and a darkish red color jersey as well i mean all right so so only one thing i can add to that is that um wolverhampton and aston villa they have the song by jeff beck called hi-ho silver lining look Mm -hmm. it up and uh the, the chorus goes you know Hi ho, Sheffield Wednesday, and then they chant exactly. But then they chant either Wolverhampton or Aston Villa, and I'm like, well, hi ho, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Come on, front office, the, the team needs a lift. Maybe a new song will do it. May- Brendan, they don't play Mountain Road before kickoff now. Is that why? Are, are, are the soccer gods or the MLS scriptwriters punishing the Rapids know. for taking away the one fun thing they had? I don't know. Oh, no, I mean we did see the Tifo. We did see the Tifo. The Miller Monster leaving, so maybe it's a win. Maybe the Rapids just couldn't win when the the plague was at DSG. Maybe, yeah. maybe. There was a fun uh, Bam at a bio was like swatting away one of the moths during one of his. Oh yeah, one of his um his pre or post game media availabilities, which I thought was kind of funny. He's like, they got moths here. Um, also kind of funny thing, Brandon, that a guy who lives in Florida was complaining about bugs because yeah. I've seen Florida man. Yes. <laughs> But, like, I, I have seen, like, bugs in South Florida outside of, like, Australia and the Amazon are about a ba- as bad as they get. So the fact that Bam Adebayo was freaking out about a relatively small-sized, non-biting, harmless moth was... He was soft as Charmin, and the Joker had his way. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, let's, let's move on, then. Um, so as we mentioned, listeners, um, Moist Bombito will be with the Canadians men's national team. They'll be playing... If you're listening to us on Thursday today at time of recording, they'll be playing Panama in the semifinal, and then USA versus Mexico will be the nightcap for the Nations League, and then the winners will play each other in the final on Sunday night, and then I think it's a 3 or a 4 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff for the third place game. Brendan, we both got to speak with um, Mike Brown, who was Bambito's head coach when he was at University of Iowa um, Community University. Um, Iowa Western Community College, and then we spoke to Moise after he was officially in camp. 
later that day. I published a huge long editorial for Burgundy Wave, so I'll let those words yeah. speak for itself. I'm, uh, I'm also doing a feature for Thursday. Yeah, but uh, yeah. big takeaways from uh, the media availability we've had, Brendan, and what do we think Moist brings to the Canucks? Oh my gosh. What? After talking to Coach Mike Brown, I mean, I love Moist's journey even more, because now we... If you see that that fight and that feistiness in him, it honestly was kind of honed at junior college. I mean, he talked about it, that he still plays with a big chip on his shoulder, and he still thinks about, really, his journey. Um, how he was overlooked by uh, in Montreal, um, Club de Foot, uh, you know, the, the impact. It still would have been the impact at the time. All right, whatever. Anyhow, you know, no Division One looks, no what, no nothing. So he found his way in the middle of Iowa, who he's, and all of a sudden he's playing for this coach. Uh, read Matt and Mai's article uh, at whenever this podcast comes out, because we'll have some crazy details. Because the way that Mike Brown would get these guys motivated was unreal. Needless to say, when we asked him about. The, the 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 drill names the gauntlet and bloody nose he Moyes went on a great great rant about how it still inspired him and how much he still really thinks about the fight that it took to get through those those drills uh coach brown credit for doing such a thing at the at the community college level because everybody comes in at that level with a chip on their shoulder but Coach Brown was saying how much, you know, Moist grew as a person as well. And now we're, really, we're seeing it with Canada. And it's, you know, kind of surreal that he's had this crazy meteoric rise from draft to uh, Vegas, really, in the span of, I don't know, seven, eight months. No, less than that. Um, well, so, Brendan, it would have been, it would have been this December. Time, June 10th. 2021 I would have been like 171 days from when he was drafted to when he was called. Oh, into the I was game. talking. I was thinking in terms of his start of junior college to now. Oh, we're talking, we're Less, talking two and a half years. Yes, two and a half years, which is insane. <laughs> insane. So yeah, now that he's in, all of a sudden in this national team camp, you know, John Herdman calls him, you know, somebody with potential, and then he lists the biggest names currently in Canada soccer. Tejon Buchanan, Fonzie Davis, you know, anybody and everybody. He went on like a freaking five-minute rant. MLS Generation Adidas, Alfonso Davies, who's won the Champions League, in the same <laughs> conversation, in the same sentence. I get it, John Herdman's is a vibes guy, but still. Totally. <laughs> it is, I mean, I freaking love Moise even more for his story and for just owning his journey. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. Moise, um, Moise is the man. We freaking wish him the best of luck. And let's hope he has been practicing his singing voice because we asked him about it. And he said he's been listening to the Canadian National Anthem in French nonstop since he got the call. And so we hope, A, he sings well tomorrow night. And B, he gets onto the field. I don't know. I don't pay attention enough, Brendan, to NHL games that are played in Canada. To know if in Toronto and all the other places, with the exception of uh, the Bell Center in Montreal, mm -hmm. do they sing the Canadian national anthem exclusively in English? I have to imagine they do the French lyrics um, at Centre Bell in Montreal. But I'm what like now that I th 
if you if you I would not know Brendan if you were lying to me if you told me right now for the World Cup they do it all in English or they do English French English. You know, I think they I we saw it when the Raptors um, reached the NBA Finals. They did a cool little thing with it. It was some group. They did it in both at the same time, and it was Ooh. yeah. I forget. Just look it up. Toronto NBA Finals, and it was like the first game for a finals to be in Canada, and uh-huh. they did it in both. And it was the you could tell that the crowd was singing in both. So yeah, there's crossover. Okay, so um, I think that's obviously um, listeners. You've heard Moist on this podcast as well. You've seen him in media availability. His English is very good. There's some time where I think it's obvious, Brendan, that there's an accent or he phrases things in ways that I think a native American speaker wouldn't, but there's no language issue whatsoever. And the fact that, you know, he's still got a decent French contingent as well with Remy and Kevin Cabral, Alec Dershbach, who speaks a little bit of French as well, having played there, Bubakar Keita, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's somebody else that I'm leaving. There's a Ralph. Ralph. There's a Ralph Crusoe. There's a, a bit of a French connection, which is kind of nice there. But Brendan, this is an interesting time for the Nations League because you still have, from what I've seen from the two rosters from the United States, obviously it's gonna it's gonna be first team guys for the Nations League, and they're gonna go off and finally get a break, and then it's gonna be B roll guys for the Gold Cup to try and you know get some more data for the incoming head coach. The Rapids now have a second interim head coach as um, as um, Anthony Hudson is off to. I can't remember the name. Of, I can't Qatar, remember the name of the yeah. Qatari team that he's coaching. So it's uh, BJ Callahan who's taking over. So interim to the interim head coach, and then you have a new head coach for Mexico who came out and said this week, Brendan, that um, after the World Cup and after losing the two finals, uh, both in the Gold Cup and the Nations League to the United States, that El Tri is currently at a deficit. So they're going to take this seriously. But similarly, from a roster standpoint, they have a whole lot of turnover, and so. Canada maybe has the most coherent group going into this in terms of coaching staff and playing staff from World Cup qualification to World Cup to now. But at the same time, they were really disappointing at the World Cup off of all the hype. And we kind of know that Panama is going to be there and we know where Panama's ceiling is now in the the modern version of CONCACAF. So there are three different winners. I would not be surprised at this point. I think the only thing, the only winner that would really surprise me would be Panama. And I'm not sure that there's, I'm not sure I'd be surprised by any of the four teams making the final or making the third place game. So I don't know what to make of it. I do think it is set up, listeners, to where um, a lot of people are going to think that the final is effectively the semifinal between the U.S. and Mexico. So we'll see what goes on there. I think that's going to be the most emotionally charged game. I do think that the I do think the most likely outcome is Panama will finish fourth. So then you have a, a medal, a podium finish for the other three teams as well. So um, there's a bunch of other outlets that I'm sure you listen to for USMNT talk that are more informed on that than we are. Um, obviously, no current or former Rapids players in the roster for the United States. Sam Vine still coming back from his injury off of one one Rapids player, one former Rapids player. Yes. Austin Trusty. Austin Trusty. Oh my God, I forgot. Okay, so Austin Trusty. Keep an eye out for him, but otherwise we'll keep you posted next yeah. week if he does anything. So Austin Trusty and Tim Ream starting at center back, obviously. Um, but the uh, but you know beyond that, um, there's other U.S. outlets that will cover this more focusedly. Um, and unless something really crazy happens, it won't be more than a banter topic for us. Brendan, I don't think that Moist starts either of these games. Yep. Based on, I believe the roster, even though it's a 23-man roster, I think you're allowed to have the entire group, including the second and third goalkeeper, on the bench as well. So I have to believe he'll be on the bench for at least one of these games, if it's allowed, in terms of a roster total standpoint. 
there's a reason he was not on the preliminary roster. He is there. He's listed as a center back. There's four center backs. There's three full backs, two of whom are right backs. So I know we've seen Frazier get a little tactically creative with Moise's role. I don't think if he sees the field, it will be because bad things are going to have to happen to both Alistair Johnson and Richie Larea, Richie Laria for that to happen. But if something happens to one of the center backs, I think he could definitely be on the bench for the Sunday game. And if that goes into extra time, I would not be shocked if we see him. And if you read our pieces, you'll get the joke that I'm about to make here, listeners. He will be ready to get a bloody nose. Anything else, Moist Bombito, that we want to talk about? Or Brendan, do we want to talk about you, Mr. Uh, you know, investigative reporter, Pentagon Papers, Commerce City Papers? Oh, yes. Let's let's do that for what our, our final segment. Yes. Well, well, if if you're if you've already listened this long, you are a diehard Rabbits fan and probably a lifer because what I'm about to say might bring a, a shock to some people. Victory Crossing is in all likelihood going to be back. So May first. Uh, this this all came about really thanks to the the inside rapid stuff and they a story came into my lap about from the Commerce City City Sentinel. Um, yes, there is a newspaper in Commerce City. It's Colorado um, Community Media, and the the guy who wrote it it was about a city council meeting. And sure enough, um, KSE proposed that a a new iteration of of Victory Crossing, a a multi use project is going to be, uh, you know, they, they presented it to city council on, on the night of May 1st. And I only learned about this really a week or two ago. And so I, I dug into it and I can tell you that um, a source told me that they uh, had an executive session last night uh, that was not open to the public, but it is still being discussed. And so here's the breakdown of who wants what. So there's going to be a KSE proposed a land exchange. And um, in order for that to happen... Hey, Brendan, who currently owns what land at Dick's Sporting Goods Park? Uh, it is the city of Commerce City, actually owns most of the surrounding land of um, Field 20, the whole, I guess, area around 56th, and... Um, the stadium footprint as well. Yes, the parking lot. The, I thought most of the parking was actually KSE owned. The parking lot by Field 20, that side is um, city of Commerce City owned. Okay. So, yes, um, while it's in the name of KSE, the people who actually own it right now are the city of Commerce City. Hey, Brandon, isn't there an option for the club to buy it outright at a certain point for like a dollar? Yes, in 2032. So, but they're trying to, um, I guess, buy all that land right now so that they can finally build um, the Victory Crossing, and the reason why they weren't able KSC to do is that, trying to buy the land to yes. build Victory Crossing. Yes. Okay. Um, the the reason why they're able to try and do that is because in 2017 the federal government lifted a um, kind of some sort of I don't know um, thing that was in place that said that you couldn't build on this land, and that was lifted in 2017 to include housing and uh, multi use. So. Yeah, I've got a whole history of, um, this is all, I guess, publicly available on YouTube, if you want to really search it, um, where they lay it out, the whole history of DSGP, it's fascinating, who paid what, how much, how many, how many acres of land, et cetera, et cetera. And so, 
the big date that they have to there's a third party in this and that involves basically the South Adams County Water and District Sanitation um district and um they they need some land and the deadline that they potentially set for it to for them to get the land um so that they could go through with the funding that they need and all this sort of extra stuff is July 31st so that's what they're currently negotiating so they're trying to negotiate a true land transfer between three parties it's complicated um basically KSE would get all tolls they would get essentially 77 acres for free when there is no monetary value to it currently, even though council members press KSE hard about it. And um, one council member assumed she just did some quick math. She's like, I think this land around the area is worth at upwards of $50 million, which would be absurd. Um, so for us to do a land swap and for us to get nothing out of it makes no sense. So there's a lot of negotiation going on Mm -hmm. and it will be going on for the next month. And if you're going to watch really anything from this, um, sort of, I guess, I don't know, city council meeting, watch mayor, uh, Benjamin Huseman. He speaks for roughly 15 minutes, but he, he goes on a tremendous you know, statement about what it means for the Rapids to be in Commerce City and what it would mean if they can't get anything done. Because for the past two decades, the city of Commerce City and the city council has been expecting, Cassie, you're going to build Victory Crossing, which was a plan that was once floated a long time ago. Then it fell through. I don't know, a decade ago, so at least. I, I don't know that you've actually defined this, Brendan. Um, for new listeners, when Dick Sporting Goods Park originally opened in 2007, the initial plan was for them to have this thing called Victory Crossing. You'll know the two big dirt lots to do immediately west of the stadium. One of them, the south one, has absolutely nothing on it, has had no development. It's basically just a giant pile of dirt that prairie dogs dig into. And the other one has prairie dogs in the north that is employee parking. That's actually also part of the media parking, even though I've parked there maybe a handful, maybe four or five times at the absolute most, Brendan. And so the plan was for those two plots of land to be this big complex. There was going to be shopping. There was going to be a bar. It's going to be like a town center. Yes. And that's still what they're trying to do. But now they just want it elsewhere on the property if they can buy it. Yes. So now where on that property it goes and how it would work in logistically with anything on game day, I think it's an interesting question. I think where it was originally planned was the ideal location. So that didn't happen for a number of reasons. There were environmental concerns. Don't quote me on this, listeners. I remember there being something about the actual prairie dogs being there that made it problematic from the, from an environmental standpoint. And I don't know, Brendan, if when that came up, given the timing that you it mentioned did. it, that 20, the... 2017. 2017. Was when it was all lifted. Okay, so that would, have, that would have been prior to the plague that would have knocked out the population that then I didn't see for the better part of a year and a half. Um, the plague game that would have been the game against Montreal in 2019 where the Prairie Dogs had the plague and they were limiting parking and everything. And I, I think from about a week after that, I didn't see a Prairie Dog, Brendan, until probably the middle of 2021. So that's a pretty long time 
to not see them. But so that didn't happen for a number of reasons. I could see where the club thought that it didn't make sense financially. I could see certainly where the city, where people on the board at Commerce City thought this is something that you promised that would have been another economic development. Mm -hmm. And let's be real listeners. There's a lot of, with the way the tailgate is and the fact that there's, there's not a lot of people going to the, the overtime bar across the street on Quebec to spend money in Commerce City or to, you know, go down the street to Starbucks or Chipotle or wherever. There's a lot of fans who come in, go to the tailgate, spend money in the stadium, which goes to KSC, and then leave and don't actually spend their money in Commerce City. So that's exactly what parallels to Victory Boulevard, I would put. Um, listeners, if you've ever been to Gillette for a Revs or a New England Patriots game, the one Gillette street or one Gillette Boulevard. They have a whole complex there that complements Gillette Stadium. Uh, no other pub for Commerce City would be a, a parallel. So th- there was almost going to be a Rapids-themed soccer bar that was going to be the pregame and the postgame, effectively be what Dale's is now, across the street from the stadium. And that was going to be done in like 2010 to 12-ish with the stadium opening up in 2007. And that was potentially going to be a place where the club could do official events instead of doing their, you know, thing out in Rhino and trying to develop a relationship, have a bar on location where they could spend and have that be another and do a whole bunch of other things associated with that. And let's be real, Brendan, outside of actual Rapids games and fish sticks, like there's not a whole lot that they're doing that's bringing people into Commerce City from outside that are then spending money and then adding economic value. Yes, correct. So, so, um, Last thing I want to say is Matt Mahoney, who was the KSE, I think, head of development, um, he was the one who presented. He said, um, you know, he laid out a plan and somebody from HGK, which is um, Brian Jensek, basically um, that, that would be the company that would do this sort of victory crossing things. And they've done the likes of um, the, the battery in, in Atlanta, where the Braves new stadium is, St. Louis City's new area. In downtown and the Power and Light District downtown KC as well, but uh, Mahoney, you know, he was straight up ass like he was grilled by the city council, um, and we got some actual good answers from him. So he said, roughly the the current capital investment um, that they're doing this year is going to be roughly two million dollars on on the this this year the improvements on the stadium, and then this was his quote. Um, that, that $2 million, listeners, is the stuff at Dale's Pub that is the expansion of the supporters section on the south side. And I don't know if that it does or does not include the north boundary work as well. Not, um, not in any sure case, that. uh, that's what he was referring yes. to. That's what the clubs refer to in their public statements about this. So the other thing is, quote, you know, this is a, um, I guess, direct quote, um, but the estimates aren't exactly there yet. But he said... Quote, we're looking at all new infrastructure from roofing, mechanical units, etc. And that's another $15 million to $20 million that we're underway on right now. And then the fields and the complex study, as you know, that's a pretty in-depth analysis that we're going to keep up with the rest of the league. And that could range from another 48, $40 to $80 million. And then he was specifically asked, how much did it cost to build the stadium? $180 million. So even with right. even with that, it wouldn't really bring it up to roughly what the newest stadium is, but it would still be something. And then he, um, earlier in the meeting, I believe it was, it was the city manager who stated that with if they were to acquire the parking lot, Field 20, all that, that sort of 
the, the first team area fields plus the other fields around what likely would be the new victory crossing area. They said, quote, um, the owner would like to develop additional MLS facilities, fields, office spaces for the MLS team. Um, and I'm going to presume, you know, an update on training facilities as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, this was all on the May 1st Commerce City City Council meeting. Um, they are currently negotiating all this right now. It's really tense, um, as, as far as I know, and I'm trying to figure out, get more stuff on the record and do some more reporting on it. Yeah. So. And all of this is happening, Brendan, as the club confirmed my reporting from back in March about the club doing a feasibility study on improving their infrastructure. And so I think it's, it's a valid question, Brendan, if by the time that July deadline comes up, what comes of the land to the point where the Rabbits decide is the improvements that we're making to the training facility even going to be on Field 20? Is what Field 20 served as the first team training pitch, is that going to be moved somewhere else? I mean, I would I assume at, so. Like, it's Field 20 through 24. That goes all the way to Central Park Boulevard. Yeah, but also, Brendan, we've done that walk in every... Like, the fact that it's first division in MLS... Messi's coming into the league and everything. You've got teams dropping between expansion fees, the cost for the training facility, and the cost for the stadium. Like, San Diego, all in told, folks, could be spending upwards of a billion dollars to get off the ground. And the fact that you still have first-team players walking in cleats across hot asphalt in the middle of the summer or icy asphalt in March, April, you know, October, November is an absolute joke. And so what becomes of this land, I think is an interesting question of what then they do from an infrastructure standpoint, because again, like Brennan do, do uh, does, uh, do the rapids turn over some of that field space in order to get other land that they would rather have? I'm just looking at the footprint right now on Google maps of the 20, Dick's Morning Goods they, Park they area. Could, they could buy the parking lot for 2032 and they could buy the field 20 and other surrounding fields for an appraisal price in 2032 as well. Yeah. So I'm just looking at this from a, an engineering surveying standpoint, Brendan, um, North of central park Boulevard slash Prairie Parkway is the Prairie gateway open space. You're not going that way. No. Okay. So then maybe there's a conversation to be had about relocating the Commerce city police department. I don't think that's going anywhere anytime nope. soon. Nope, nope. You've got the USPS that is due Southwest of DSG as well. There's a whole bunch of dirt space below, I guess, field three, field 13, all that space and everything. Brendan, that's a pretty good, that is a decent size block of land that an equivalent to McGregor square off the third baseline at, at Coors field could exist, or at least something Something close to what Victory Boulevard's original, you know, marked up, very general architectural conceptual drawings could have been as well. Maybe then you actually turn the parking lots that you have immediately west of the stadium into actual parking lots. Maybe you turn that into a full parking structure as well. So then maybe the first team training pitch can be currently where lot single A is right now. All, all of this is up for is up for discussion, but a lot of big things have to happen and... As someone who works in these spaces regularly, Brendan, like the, the, the three parties working in and a lot of them disgruntled and rightfully disgruntled is going to make this complicated. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. This is this is some And this is stuff. this is some some fate of the club stuff. This is got, got, this, this but, will have millions of dollars of implications. But, but also thank you, American government, for city councils being televised and, and on YouTube, because otherwise... I would have no idea that KSE even presented this plan. This totally 
slipped my radar until it fell in my lap. And thankfully, if you if you really want to research, it's a I don't know an hour and twenty minute presentation. But it's fascinating. Rapid C span. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, um, currently on the far side of the table, but at least we've got some rapid C span. Yes. Um, Brennan, what do you think comes out of this? What are the What are the range of possibilities? Um, okay. First of all, endless. To, I, endless. Uh, I don't in, think it's it's. A source told me it's it's, it's very very infancy in the July thirty first. Deadline, while it is absolutely important to know what's going to happen, I mean, this is this could be another drawn out process. I I I think it's really at the start of its, you know, at the be at the beginning of it all. Okay, ideal scenario: the rapids get all the land, control it. It's built. Overvamp it's the built, infrastructure. It's overvamp. built ahead of the twenty twenty six World Cup. Built ahead of the twenty twenty six World Cup. Yes. Okay. That's the, and this is a McGregor Square improved stadium, yes. like overall of that improved Quick, training pitch. Efficient construction times, no delays, no this, that, and the other. Everything actually comes together as There's they no want it to. Okay. I know. Okay. So that's the. But I, I've got to imagine they're doing this now, 2023, because of 2026. Some part of me feels like that's tied in. That seems, this is the thing that I've thought as well, Brent. Like the. So there's the stuff that ugh, I'll include a link to my piece on this as well, listeners, for those of you who haven't seen that ra- that Inside Rapids um, thread as well. But like, there's a part of me that wonders, Brendan, what was the, at no point in my reporting when Denver didn't get the World Cup bid, was there, did any of my sources mention the infrastructure or the training stuff that was available, which DSG would have had. There would have been non-competing clubs could have co-trained at Dick's, and there would have been a conversation of where else they're going to. Boulder as well or wherever, of, yeah. Yeah, because there's CU stuff as well, and um, I guess the, the outdoor grass facility for the Broncos would have been in play as well. Yeah. So, potentially two teams that aren't playing each other at the Denver facility, at the Broncos facility, excuse me, and then the two out at DSG. And I have to wonder if that was potentially a variable. Or had Denver gotten the World Cup, would this have been expedited and oh, all this would have yeah. been sorted as Probably. well? Just the thing that I'm thinking, but, you know, I guess the, uh, what's the uh, immediate implication, is there any scenario, Brendan, where Commerce City takes all the land back and then decides to kick out the the Rapids Oakland Coliseum style? No. Okay. No. I just, they wouldn't, they would lose, you know, they, they want business in the town because as they, as the city council literally mentioned, the, um, the, the Real Colorado youth tournament was held that weekend Mm -hmm. and they said at no point do any parents ever stop in commerce city for post-game meals Mm -hmm. even the mayor said he him and his daughter had to go all the way down central park boulevard just to get food like no place you know nothing like that exists in town Mm -hmm. so they can't that would be quite literally the worst case scenario but he did bring it up in case you're wondering that the mayor was basically saying look what happened with with San Diego and its football team. Mm-hmm. I don't want this to happen to the Rapids and Commerce City. Okay. But that would be the absolute worst case, case scenario. But we, ha- we as a city council have to go back and negotiate and figure out what is best for city council. Because there's absolutely, frankly, to be honest, there is a contentious relationship between KSE and city and Commerce City because they feel hard done. And they don't want to get st- strong-armed again because mm-hmm. this is... The most public 
deal that they've ever done. Like, mm-hmm. view-wise for the town. Yeah. So, yes. They want to make it easier. So, the DSG and the greater facility and what the Rapids have put on there make it easier for people to come to Commerce City. They want they want to act in good faith and they want the club to act in good faith in a way that's then going to make people want to come to Commerce City and want to come to GSG more, want to stay there and in particular have some other economic influence that's outside the physical footprint of the richer that then has them putting money in KSC and MLS's pocket rather than actually something that's a, a revenue community builder for actually Commerce City. And the club has failed to deliver on those initial, albeit very non-firm and non, um, uh, non-accountable promises. And there's a way to get there. But at the same time, like, they've done this before in good faith. And KSC has found ways to be like, we're not doing that because we don't want to spend the money. It's going to be an interesting month. So tune in. We'll probably have much more to say on it. Might even be more interesting than what's going on with the Colorado Rapids directly. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. That's that's what we got, right? That that's the final part of our rundown. It was a long rundown, an important one because you led to, you led into it from last week, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. So thanks for letting me talk about it because it's a big potential moment for the club and for the town of Commerce City. Listeners, you can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Plone. Obviously, check out all of his content over at the Denver Post. You can follow me on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Rapids96Podcast. Send us your questions on Twitter using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us like Matthew Cleveland did at Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. And you can support us by subscribing to our Substack, holding the highline.substack. Dot com rate review share subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um we're on pretty much every single platform that we'd want to be on um you know if, if we're not on a platform that you'd prefer us to be on uh there's some news on some stuff going on with that that might be changing that won't affect you but it'll affect us on the front end and everything oh and uh rabbi did text me before we hit the record button that um the designs have been finalized for the beer steins for this summer so we were releasing those are still secret those are still embargoed here mr brendan plone denver post reporter but uh we'll be releasing those publicly in the next couple weeks hopefully and they will be available for purchase as we promised by the july 4th home game um listeners will see you next week to bring it in see ya see ya